0: Simon. I promised in our last episode that we would do something to celebrate women in baseball in our next show. We're doing that here, and we may do that on other shows this year. And it's an important time to do that with the events that have happened in the past week. Today, we spotlight one woman working in pro baseball who offers both great perspective and great advice for us all to consider. Rachel's website is rachelbalkovic.com. B-A-L-K-O-V-E-C. I also recommend checking out her Instagram and the other podcasts she's done. They were both prominent sources for this interview. In early January, the Boston Red Sox announced the hiring of Bianca Smith as a minor league hitting coach. She'll be the first black woman coaching in professional baseball. She'll join a small group of women currently coaching in the pro baseball ranks. One of those is Rachel Balkovic, a minor league hitting coach with the New York Yankees. Rachel has traveled all over the world in her coaching career. Prior to coaching with the Yankees, she'd worked in nine countries in a year's time. She was the first woman to work as a full-time strength and conditioning coach in pro baseball. She's done so in the minor league organizations for three teams. She was all set to begin working as a hitting coach when COVID hit. Now she's in Australia with the Sydney Blue Sox. who are trying to get in a winter season while dealing with coronavirus.
1: Thank you for joining us. First of all, how's Australia? Oh, I love it here. Oh, my gosh. If I was... uh... If my work wasn't in the States, I would live in Sydney easily.
0: All right. So you tell very comprehensive stories rather succinctly on Instagram, and there's a couple of themes to them. One of them is about showing up and making the most of opportunities. With that, uh, explain to us, first of all, how you came to be in Australia.
1: Yeah. So this year, basically, obviously, you know, everyone's at home and the Yankees are the same. So we were doing all kinds of Zoom calls uh, with our departments, trying to basically do what we could to continue to develop our system and our philosophy and our and our organization and move forward even during this time. So uh, each department was holding different calls. And one of the calls was catching calls for our department with catching. And I, my entire career, I'm just always curious to learn kind of a bird's eye view and get a big uh, general perspective, I would say, on what's going on um, in the organization. So I joined every single catching call. And in the process of that, I was a part of a conversation one day. And one of the catching coaches said, Hey, do we want to send any players over to Australia? Because one of my best friends is a manager there for one of the teams for the winter, the winter league. And my ears kind of perked up. So I said, Hey, players are great, but what about coaches? You know, what what can I do? Because I need to be in an environment where I'm consistently working hands on with players every day. Um, I don't have the luxury of like, I don't have 10 years of hitting coaching experience to stand on. So I asked him and he, he linked me up with the manager here and here I am in Sydney
0: all right. Baseball is a universal language. You are dealing, uh, I would imagine, primarily with English-speaking players in Australia. You've certainly coached uh, players who speak multiple languages. Um, what has Australia been like to coach in, and how does it compare to some of the other countries that you've worked in?
1: It's very Westernized, so it's—I wouldn't say it's much different from the States. Definitely, the talent level is probably a bit lower here, simply based off the fact that I mean, we're talking about the entire country is 20 million people, which is, you know, the size of Arizona. So the talent pool is much smaller. sport is much smaller here cricket and rugby are much bigger um so you know it's it's a little different in that way but obviously like i've spent a lot of time in the dominican republic and so quite different from from well it's the dominican republic's quite different from the united states and australia so in the dominican the players that we sign there are 16 and so they're coming from they a lot of them don't finish high school And also they're coming from third world countries. They're coming from a lot of times single parent homes. And so there's quite a few different socioeconomic differences between the players in the States and in the Dominican. And so great kids. In fact, it's one of my favorite things to do is work with our young Latin American players, but also, you know, there's just some challenges there. So quite different from the athletes that I'm working with who are young Latin players in baseball uh, in Australia, but Pretty similar, I, I would say, overall to the players in, in the States between Australia and United States. So it's just adding a layer of diversity to my perspective being here and seeing where these players come from and seeing the talent pool here and understanding really realistically from, from my perspective and a scouting perspective uh, what's available here in Australia that we could be sourcing to the United States.
0: Is there an Australian custom that you've had to get acclimated to that was particularly, I guess, interesting in some way to get acclimated to?
1: Driving on the left side of the road <laughs> <laughs> This is one of the things. Um, just, it's just like anything else. I think it's funny getting lost. You know, I've moved quite a few times in my career, and I'm just lost all the time. But now I'm lost, and I'm on the opposite side of the road. So that's been quite an adjustment.
0: So while you're in Australia, the work of baseball and sports goes on. Kim Ng is signing free agents with the Marlins as their GM. I mentioned Bianca Smith hired out of Division Three Carroll University and a couple of MLB internships. The Memphis Grizzlies hired MIT's women's head coach, Sonia Rahman, as an assistant coach. Greg Popovich gets ejected from a game. Becky Hammond takes over as head coach of the Spurs. The NFL announces that there will be a female official working at the Super Bowl. And this interview takes place on a day in which Kamala Harris is sworn in as vice president. And then you have something like what happened with Jared Porter and the Mets. And we're reminded of what women have to deal with and that the sports world has a long way to go. So with all of that, where are we when it comes to women coaching men's sports?
1: I just got the chills when you said that, you know, that whole line of just like you were going on a roll there and then, you know, the, the name Jared Porter comes up and, uh, I just, there was a lot of conversation yesterday amongst my female, you know, my comrades, I guess you will in baseball. And one of them was saying, Oh, I can't believe this is happening. And I said, well, I can, you know, because I still deal with quite a few things on a regular basis, not necessarily within the organization I'm in, but just now, as opposed to when I first got it in 2012, there was no social media. Now there's social media, so everyone can share their opinion. So we see more opinions. You know, we see we just, it's out there, it's visible, and even the way that the news about Jared Porter got out, it's not in newspapers. It's retweeted thousands and thousands and thousands of times. So it's more obvious. And this is just like also with the with uh, George Floyd this year. It's like it's just more visible, and it's and it's like. I think social media has almost brought about this revival of understanding social issues that are present because there's no hiding it it's not on the back page of some newspaper it's it's just seen so widely so I think that as far as we've come I I viscerally personally understand how far we have to go because of some of the things that I encounter daily you know whether that's on social media or in person but definitely on social media and definitely through you know, tech outlets where just recently I had a current major league player get my phone number and text me and uh, say some not nice things about what I'm putting out on social media and how I should stop complaining and keep my mouth shut and stay below, you know, fly under the radar. And that's a real thing that I deal with personally. I would never share names or whatever because of how far we've come. So, th- those instances still are the minority even though it's painfully obvious that there's it's still happening and it is happening quite a bit i mean that story i think that was about something that happened four or five years ago and everyone's saying well why did she say something why didn't she say something it's like well because you you lose your job you know so especially things that happened early in my career i could have gone to hr god a hundred times now but i never do because i wouldn't be here And then I wouldn't have the opportunity for myself, but I also wouldn't be opening up doors for other women. So as much as I I don't want to sound, I do want to be very clear. The negative experiences make up 5% of my life. The positive experiences and support that I've seen from players and coaches and my bosses and whatever, that's 95%. And that's the part that I choose to focus on personally when I ask myself, is this worth it? That 5% can be massively painful and emotionally difficult but I just choose to go, okay, that is the minority. It's still there and it's hard. And especially when, I mean, God, that poor woman, that that has to be an outlier situation. I can safely say I've never experienced anything like that blatant or that horrific, but it does happen. And the fact that it took four or five years for this to surface tells you how deep it is and how many things get let go and aren't talked about and never make it to the media. Because even that instance took four or five years to get out to the public. Like that's a massive I mean, the sixty-two or whatever it was unanswered text messages, you're like, that is blatantly harassment and the images that is so blatant. But what about the the five text messages? What about the slight the the microaggressions that happen all the time that just never get reported? You know, what about those things? So I think that it's just just as George Floyd and, and the BLM movement that happened this year it's just bringing light to the fact that yeah it's still going on it's probably just hidden more because people know the repercussions now so just like racism you know people don't say it they're saying it in closed chat rooms they're saying it behind closed doors but it never surfaces because we know the massive repercussions
0: and what was your reaction when you heard the news about Bianca Smith getting the job
1: Oh, I just I hadn't heard about Bianca. We had been in touch before she was hired. So it's kind of like, okay, it's just normal. Now, I feel like it's normal. But that's also my perspective of like, I've been in the game for so long now that I'm kind of like, yeah, of course, she contacted me before I saw her resume. And I thought, okay, this could be a hire for a, either an internship or a seasonal position. And so she has the resume. So it was normal. And I was like, great. And of course, it's a big deal to everyone else. But I feel like in my head, at least it's been normalized, which is a cool thing. You know, that's incredible that she gets that opportunity. I don't know, but I hope even if it was 5%, I hope that I was part of, you know, helping that, even if it was her feeling like she could do it and keep continuing to apply for jobs or the organization going, oh, well, look, they hired Rachel and Alyssa and Rachel Folden and all these other women. Why can't we hire Bianca? So yeah, I hope that would be incredible. That's an honor.
0: One thing that I've noticed about reading and listening to your podcasts about your coaching is, you, you bring this up regularly, you have a way of connecting with people. I see that, for example, with us, with Sydney, you were friendly with Manny Ramirez, who's part of the team mm-hmm. briefly. You worked frequently yeah. with Latin American players, as you've mentioned. That was a primary component of some of your strength and conditioning jobs. What is the key to building connections with people that you've developed in your time trying to coach Professional baseball.
1: I don't know if that's even my strength, really. But I would say, what if anything allows me to connect, it's probably being diverse. Um, And I'm not talking about being a woman, I'm talking about having traveled all over the world and been in different leagues. And I mean, now it's like I've worked in professional baseball, I've worked in the college setting, I've worked in the private setting, I've worked in the australian baseball league now i've worked in the dominican winter league like i mean there's not a player that i work with basically that i'm not like oh yeah i can relate to you on something i, I don't know what it is it might be music choice you know i've i listen to latin music i listen to country music i listen to it's, it's like i'm a just a, i'm very much a chameleon and i Think that I'm unrelatable in some ways, very much so. Being maybe it's a woman, but also my level of intensity and sometimes the way that I, what I require out of players, is unrelatable. Unrela- to be honest with you, but if it's one thing that I can relate to people on, it's just my diverse experience all over the world in different settings and situations. And I think right away with Manny, probably one of the first things was I answered the phone when he first called me, which is before we got to Sydney, and. I started speaking Spanish. And he goes, how did you learn Spanish? Like he didn't even know that I knew Spanish. I'm like, yeah, I'm this white girl from Nebraska. And I taught my I don't want to say I taught myself Spanish, the players taught me Spanish. But I dove into that from the get go in professional baseball and learned it really well so that I could communicate with the players. So I think it's just being a chameleon and being diverse, hopefully that allows me to connect with them on on many different subjects, you know, not just baseball, but many different things.
0: We have, I imagine, a good number of listeners who uh, aspire to be coaches someday. And I'm just curious for, in your work experience, what's been the toughest thing to try to coach players on since I know you have strength and conditioning and now you're hitting coach work. What's been the toughest thing to coach players about?
1: Oh, it's mindset, 100%. Coaching a mindset is always the most difficult thing. But that's but that's human development. I always say, like, my passion is not baseball, but my passion is human development. I just happen to do that in baseball. And human development is change, it's learning new things, it's pushing themselves. What even when they're good at something, what okay, you're great, but what could you be better at? How can we attack that? And then that always involves some kind of uncomfortable process of change. Always. There are no exceptions to that. And so Getting better involves being bad at something because you're getting better involves changing, which means you're bad at something first and then you get over that curve and you can improve. And so it's really always the mindset is the most difficult thing to change or to, you know, evolve at a person uh, from being comfortable with what they are good at to being really uncomfortable with what they are failing at.
0: Now, you mentioned before the diversity of experiences that you've had. I know that you worked for Driveline, too. We do a lot of analytic content on this podcast, what, and you've done some studies. Uh, I know I was reading uh, or listening to you talk about one study that you had done with uh, vision and, and such. What, what's your work? What's your current work in that area, and what are you most interested in learning more about in that area?
1: Oh, God, there's so much. It's like the new frontier, I would say. Uh, not vision. In particular, because people are going to say, "Oh, vision training—that's been around for decades and decades in sports." Uh, But specifically, uh, tracking eye movement for hitters. That's what I meant. You know, you did your homework, but just for the audience listening, is eye tracking for hitters and just understanding that you know, I think the general concept is: look, I'm a I'm a person with a background in the body, right, strength and conditioning, and that's part of why I was hired because my boss, the hitting coordinator for the New York Yankees right now, has a master's degree in exercise science. So he also has a background in the body and understanding mechanics. And so the swing actually, to me, it's not easy. And it definitely is not easy to change a swing. But that's actually the easier part of hitting. Whereas hitting a moving baseball, perception to action is the most difficult part. So you can have a great swing. But if you're expecting a fastball, it's still going to be hard to hit a curveball. Like no matter what your swing looks like, yeah, you can have the best swing in the big leagues. But that doesn't matter if you can't hit a curveball so then how do you get people to actually train themselves to recognize what pitch it is earlier in the uh ball flight which we're talking now we're we're talking about 10 milliseconds making the difference between hitting it foul to, to the left field side and hitting it foul to the right field side that's 10 milliseconds so if you're even off in your timing 10 milliseconds how do you train that how do you train someone to get better at that so that is just a wildly fascinating concept to me. And really we're just, we're just skimming the surface with what we know about it and what we know about more importantly developing it. So that would be my interest. And what I did at driveline, which was eye tracking for hitters and just understanding eye movements and what the best hitters are doing during ball flight, you know, which is a pretty, a relatively new, uh, not new, but uh, as far as like the technology available to do it better, you know, is relatively new
0: what advice do you give to people uh, regarding analytics and performance science and all the different things in addition to just the basics of trying to hit a baseball for someone that wants to be who wants to go into coaching with regards to
1: learning those things analytics to be honest with you it's like i put out a, a post recently that said you're not you're no longer progressive if you buy technology everyone bought everyone's bought technology you're no, don't say you're progressive for having a technology budget. What now is progressive is buying the technology using the technology. Cause some teams will buy technology and it collects dust using the technology daily. Okay. Then collecting the data, then taking the data and teasing out what's important, then taking what's important and going, okay, how do we improve this? Then communicating that to the players, then, creating a development plan so that you can help the players improve and reassessing that's progressive. So if you think you're progressive by buying technology, you're actually five to 10 years behind the industry, but five to 10 years behind the leading people in the industry. Unfortunately and fortunately I've been brainwashed by being in the Astros organization, by being with driveline, maybe with the Yankees, but like, man, the Astros were doing what I just said five years ago. So if you're not doing, it's like buying technology is no longer progressive. If you, don't, if you don't have technology, of course you're behind. But even if you have technology, you still could be behind what's going on. Certainly
0: teams are, are constantly uh, working to uh, improve on what they have and, and build up. Uh, I do want to uh, take something that you mentioned earlier and come back to it in kind of a maybe a lighter way. We were talking about uh, how you were in a catching coach meeting. We've talked to players at, at different positions and we've talked to them about uh, pregame prep and meetings and things of that sort. I'm curious about it from a coach's perspective. What's a, a, a catching, either an organizational meeting or just a catching uh, meeting with a coach
1: to player like? I can't speak to coach to player because I'm technically not a catching coach yet, but I just a coaching meeting is really just like going, we would like review players' video going over like different philosophical concepts and breaking those down, talking about, Hey, what should we do with this player? What what would you do with this player in this situation? What can be better about our practice design? You know, what are some, I don't want to say drills. I feel like drills. I just, I'm getting unenthused with the term drills, but designing practice to basically force them to have a game like situation um, and force them to be challenged Really, I would say it revolves around, hey, let's look at this certain player, this certain move that they're doing. How can we improve this? But also, let's talk about our general, you know, like for a broader view of like organizationally, what can we do better? How can we design our practices better to make sure that our players are improving? How can we, just, how can we do our communication better to make sure that the players are getting the information properly and receiving it in a way that they're going to understand and buy in? That's a catching meeting, but that's all of our meetings as coaches. That's catching, that's hitting.
0: I was hoping that you could, and I realize we've been all over the map with our conversation here, but I was hoping that you could tell us your favorite story of mentoring uh, as someone who likes coaching uh, as much as you do and the lesson that either you
1: learned or the lesson that you taught. Myself, I'll go with myself being mentored is just... You know, so like the, re- the way that I became a hitting coach is a great story of mentorship. It basically is the same thing that I just told you about right now with me being on a catching call and then all of a sudden here I am in Sydney, Australia, is the same way that I became a hitting coach. So basically 2016, I was in uh, spring or extended spring training for the Houston Astros as a strength and conditioning coach. And I was the same person that I am today, the same person that I was when I was 18. I'm really curious about, I'm a big picture person. I want to understand all facets so that I can be better at this one thing. And so I was going into, I would go into hitting meetings and pitching meetings. And I was always wanting to draw information from them at the time. I thought, so I could be better at strength and conditioning. But what I inadvertently was doing was training myself as a hitting coach, you know, so I would go to these meetings and I'll never forget. 2016 i went to this meeting that was for the hitters and and the hitters were in there with one of our hitting coaches dylan lawson who's now my current boss for the new york yankees so he was a minor league hitting coach with the astros he was doing this drill essentially with them where he was doing a inclusion video which is something that's been done for decades so basically you cut off the video at a certain time and they have to guess the pitch uh not not guess but they have to see basically the pitcher's hand you know between a curveball and a fastball And they were writing down their answers. So he cut off the video at ball release and they had to write down their answers and see how accurate they were with their pitch recognition. So he was doing this stuff. And I just thought I was a college softball player and I've been in baseball for five years at that point. And I was like, I've never even heard of this, you know, or seen this. So it just got my mind rolling. And he really, it's just like anything else, you know, if the student wants to show up and learn, The teacher will want to teach. So I'm wildly interested in this. He starts sending me articles. We have these conversations. And then when I decided to go back to school, I wasn't exactly sure what route I was going to take, if it was going to be scouting, if it was going to be analysts or whatever. And he nudged me towards hitting right away. So I dove into this research, reading all these articles, understanding whatever, dove into understanding this and then approached Driveline, who I had known, Kyle Bodhi for a while again because I showed up at Driveline five years ago and visited their facility and met Kyle Bodhi and, and had an interaction with him that was positive. So I contacted Driveline, and was like, hey, can I do this research at your facility? And of course they said yes. I did my research in eye tracking and here we are. So I think it's just another, you know, being mentored and mentoring is now i see people i just did this the other day i see people and i go you have really a lot of potential as a coach i don't care what you know really i don't care what your philosophy is i don't care what you're doing you're a great coach and we can teach you what you what else you need to know you know and so with dylan and me i was like dylan i'm I, you know i played college softball but even that was a long time ago you know i don't know about hitting what do you mean he's like look you have an open mind You know about the human body, you know about this research, I know I know your coaching demeanor, I know what kind of respect you can get, I know who you are as a person, your work ethic. I'll teach you whatever else you need to know. Who cares? You're a great coach and I'll teach you some of the specifics that you don't have. So I think seeing the raw material as a mentor and going, I see what's there, I see the potential. I think a lot of people see what is. And he saw and I see as a mentor what can be. I see people's potential and go, okay, yeah, whatever. You don't know a little bit of stuff. Okay, I'll teach you that. But you have the intangibles that I can't teach. So I think just from that perspective, from the mentor, but the mentee, it's like, just show up, insert yourself into situations where you're not getting paid. Maybe you don't belong there. Maybe you don't see the direct correlation. Just show up, make sure you're in the room so you can at least hear the conversations at the very least. At the most, you never know. You never know what can happen. I mean, look at me. And that's just from like basically putting myself in rooms where I don't belong, to be honest with you.
0: A great story and great advice, uh, certainly as well. Uh, Last question for you. You're someone for whom uh, it seems to be all about perspective and the idea that if you can get through 2020, I saw this again, quoting your Instagram, you've gained immeasurable skills. What do you want 2021 to be like for you from a baseball perspective?
1: Yeah, I want to have a normal year. You know, I'll take any year this year, this past year has been phenomenal for me. And when I say that I've heard a couple people kind of chirp back and a couple people wrote me messages and said, well, it's easy for you to say you're working for the Yankees. Guess what? The Yankees furloughed us for several months. You know, so it's not like my life is this charmed life and I didn't experience any issues this year. And then, by the way, that's public information. So I'm not, you could have Googled that. I'm not sharing anything really that personal and I would share it anyway. If it was personal, you know, I, this year wasn't fluff and easy for me necessarily. I just choose, I choose no matter what the situation to find a way to get something out of it. You know, no matter what, I still wish this year, I wish I would have had this year be normal, I guess, but, but I mean, do I, cause I, now I'm in Sydney, Australia and I've met incredible people and I've, met, I've done things i never would have done so do i wish it was normal i don't know i think i want this year to be normal but if it's not normal i can guarantee you that my life will become better because of whatever challenge i face so i i want it to be normal i think in my mind that's what i would love to see as a normal baseball season as much as it can be but if it doesn't happen then i will find a way to maximize this next year all right. And uh, Rachel, is there anything that you would like to plug to close the interview? I would like to say that just I have formal mentorships for women. So I do a month long mentorship. Um, it's uh, offer a student version and a professional version and can be found on my website right on the homepage. Very easy to find, very easy to apply. I don't promote that because I just frankly, you know, I have a full time job. So I, I but I do, I, I just have done it so informally for such a long time. And I realized finally that I was having these 30 minute conversations and I would get off the phone and go, I don't know if I really even did anything for that young woman, you know, besides just be here, you know, and I wanted to make it something more formal and more tangible where you can, you know, like after this month, your life might be on a whole different path. You might be moving across the world. You might be quitting your job, you know, and that that's actually what happens quite often with the mentorships that I do is a lot of times people come to me and they go, I'm stuck. I'm lost. I don't know what to do next. And before you know it, they're in a U-Haul going somewhere for a new job. And I really, if I have one talent, my friend, it's it's getting people to quit their jobs and move across the country or the world. So be careful if you apply for that mentorship, because you may get more than you bargained for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, best of luck. Stay safe in Australia. Look forward to you coming back to the States and working with uh, the Yankees minor league teams this year.
1: Thank you so much for your time.
0: The 2021 edition of the Bill James Handbook is available for order from actasports.com. This year's book features lots of great insights. Bill invented a new stat to measure game score for batters. We look at the impact of the rule changes made in the shortened season and the weird stats that a short year creates. Speaking of stats, we've got lots of them. Career and year by year totals for every major leaguer. Plus deep dives into defensive runs saved. RBI percentages, shifts, the Hall of Fame, and more. Plus, the first set of hitter and pitcher projections for the 2021 season. That's the Bill James Handbook 2021 edition, available at actosports.com, where you can get 10% off and free shipping. Order today. And this wraps up the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. Please rate, and review, and share the show if you have a chance. For our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.